Thanks for downloading this show from PC1. Before we get rolling, here's a word from one of the folks who helped bring you this podcast. The following program is a podcast1.com production. Glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. When you want deals, ClarkDeals.com. And when you got a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Coming up in 20 minutes, free trial offer. It's Clark Rages when you sign up for a free trial offer. Next thing you know, your credit card is being charged up or your checking account is being debited. I'm going to tell you what you need to know to protect your wallet. And I want to step into you get what you pay for. Is it really a good idea when you buy electronics to buy them the way I say, don't worry about the brand, just buy what's cheap? Well, I have some interesting new data for you from Consumer Reports that I'm going to share with you in just a half hour. Right now, though, I want to talk about something that I find amazing. I was having a conversation Actually, I was listening to a conversation in the car with three teenagers in the car. And they were talking about the parents of one of their friends who just got this really expensive, I don't know these cars well, Land Rover, Range Rover, whatever the really, really expensive rovery thing is. And one of the teenage girls said to the others, They're so rich. Well, I couldn't let that just slide by. And I said, you know, what you drive has nothing to do with whether you're rich or poor. And they went silent as I'm talking. And I don't know it's because why are you in our conversation? We weren't talking with you or if they were actually listening to what I was saying. I was talking about the research done in that was published in the book The Millionaire Next Door that found that millionaires typically live in very modest homes and drive very basic automobiles. So that was the end of the conversation that I was involved with the teenagers, and they went back to... Talk, 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 whatever they were talking about. So then I'm reading a new report about what vehicles are the ones that are the ones most likely to be driven by a high-income earner. So saw this item in USA Today, told you so, told you so the teenage girls because here are the five vehicles that a high income earner is most likely to drive the honda civic the honda pilot the jeep grand cherokee the jeep wrangler or a ford f-150 pickup now you can run some of these up some in price you can option them out 
But the point is, there's not a luxury make among any of those. There's not a hugely expensive vehicle on the list. So often, people who drive a fancy nameplate, a luxury car, are people that are aspirational, as the marketeers call it. They haven't made it, but they're creating the trappings of having made it and what they drive. And the funny thing is, a lot of people who are worth a lot of money still run around in a basic vehicle or a used vehicle or whatever. It's just not their thing. They're not into it. And they don't spend money on that. So remember this. It's never what you spend that determines your wealth. It's what you don't spend that determines your net worth. Carlo is with us on the Clark Howard Show. How are you doing? Fine, and you? Great, thank you. How can I serve you? Well, partly out of necessity and partly out of want, my wife and I have gotten into the home flipping business. Um, I am a licensed contractor, and typically we build new homes, improvements, uh, renovations, and things like that. Um, We were kind of slow, so we purchased a house and renovated it and put it on the market, and it did well. So we did another. And my question to you is, we've been funding this out of our own savings account, and I want to kind of move away from that. So uh, what's the best way to fund these projects? What an old friend of mine refers to is you got to know about the mezzanine. Mm -hmm. That people who are local real estate investors doing a house or two or three at a time, you need to find your way to small local banks, true community banks that have like one, two, three offices, and sit down, you and your wife sit down with the president of that bank and tell them what you've been doing, show them the track record of what you've accomplished, how you can turn these properties and make money from them, and the loans that the banks that make those kind of loans make them specifically to you and they keep the loans on their own books completely different than the way normal bank lending works where it's all based on a standard formula mm-hmm. because the bank wants people like you they want to make money with you and make more money as you grow and you make more money right so there, there is no specific magic formula other than something like old-timey mm-hmm. that you go in and you meet with the person the buck stops with in a, a small local bank, which is that bank president. Okay. And they, you don't need to know the terminology, but they call it keeping the loans in portfolio, that they stay on their books. And under your business plan, do you buy a property, renovate it, and turn it in less than 24 months? Uh, yeah, typically. Less than 90 days. 90 days? <clears throat> yeah. 90? Yeah. Wow. So what you'd be looking for from the bank is, is more likely some form of line of credit you'd establish with the bank where you 
buy a property, renovate it, and and turn it as quick as you can and pay off that line of credit. That sounds made to order for a small local bank. Now, I have a home equity line of credit with a big bank. Um, Why not use that? Well, I was afraid to put that, you know, just leverage my, my house. Yeah, except, except you're taking a risk regardless of how you would do it. Mm-hmm. So if you got stuck with a property, just for argument's sake, you right. buy one, you renovate it, you can't sell it, you would have renovated on the cheap because it's your own skill that did it. Right. You have something you could probably turn into a profitable rental property right away. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a case where using the home equity line of credit you have from the giant monster mega bank is a, is a perfectly acceptable way for you to do it. That's an okay way to do it. Yeah. The interest rate on it will be very favorable. Are you at about 5%? floor on that or four percent i i think it's around four percent i actually think it was i'm not don't hold me to this because it's been a while since we've had it but i think it's prime plus one or something like that or but usually usually the home equity lines come with a floor now Mm -hmm. so because the prime rate's so low right and even with the plus it's still such a low rate that they tend to have a floor but in any case if you're only accessing the funds for months at a time Right. That's that's a great way for you to do this. I was just kind of hesitant to do it. I, you know, and I imagine if I went to a small bank, they're going to ask for collateral anyway. We have a, a you know a, a decent amount of equity in our home, um, and I imagine they're going to want to need to leverage that anyway, aren't they? Likely, when you start out with them, yes. But mm-hmm. but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You, the wheel right. already exists. You've got the source you need. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, the worst that happens is you end up with an income-producing property instead of a flip. Right. And right. that's good, too. Yeah. So that's really neat. You know, I'm really jealous of you because I cannot fix anything myself. I volunteer with Habitat for Humanity every year, probably about 15, 20 days a year, and I never learning curve on anything. I can't do any of the things that you're able to do that generate the wealth that you and your wife are able to create. So good for you. Beth is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Beth. How are you? I'm doing well. Beth, you have a question for me about a controversial website I've talked about. Mm-hmm. Hit me with it. Um, well, I'm looking at buying an airplane ticket, and I saw your segment on Skiplag, and I went on and I checked, and it would probably save me about $200. Um, but I was wondering, what's the risk that you're taking that the um, they might change? Because with the skip lag, as you told me before, the layover is actually your final destination. So what's the chances that the airline would change their flight plans and my layover would disappear and so I would be stuck without my destination? It could happen but be extremely rare. As long as it's a plane change in okay. that city, they have a need to get people to that city who run around the terminal and change planes, and you just don't take the connecting flight. And it is a technique that the airlines despise because American United and Delta use a pricing formula that in markets where they have monopoly power strength, they charge fares that are through the roof. And then markets where they compete, they charge much lower fares. So mm-hmm. the idea of skip lag is you can go from point A to point B and then from point B to point C, 
at many cases a third the cost of A to B, even though you've gone through A to B to get to C. And so Skip Lagged gives you the tools of the trade. This is a route you should try that will save you a lot of money. Now, let me tell you, the, there is always the possibility of a reroute because of bad weather, particularly during summer thunderstorm season or during winter storms. Okay. So you have to know that, that you're going to save a lot of money with a low level of risk that you're going to hate that you tried it, but very low level. Second thing is so many people are taking carry-on bags onto airplanes now. Mm-hmm that a lot of people are turned back at the entry door to the aircraft and their bags are gate-checked there to your final destination, which would be point C that you're not going to. Correct. So you travel only with something small enough that can fit under the seat in front of you. Okay. Like a small backpack that will not be taken away from you. All right. Yeah, the other question I have regarding this is that I know with Skip Lag, they have you set up now doing one-way tickets, so the round-trip part isn't the issue, but are there any repercussions from the airlines for future purchases or anything if you... The, uh, well, the frequent flyer is the danger, and, and airlines might try to make an example of somebody and say you violated their contract, but they're pretty busy people. They'd really have to have a real attitude, and then there's more exposure about how they're ripping people off with monopoly pricing. We got to talk. We got to talk here in today's Clark Rageous moment. When you receive a free trial offer online or however it comes your way, be wary, be aware, keep your hand tight on your wallet. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. I'll see something that's a free trial offer, and I don't walk away from it. I run. Because the whole idea of free trial offers is that people will sign up for something free. And then with their busy lives, even if they don't like it, they don't use it, whatever, they don't notice that after so many weeks or one month or whatever, They are now in an ongoing bill. And worst of all, with a free trial option, is when it's attached to your checking account. And money is vanishing from your checking account. And then, as we've had the calls on our show, you cancel your free trial offer, and they're still billing you. They're still taking the money. And this is a problem that I want you, if you were somebody who says, well, I, I, just, I just like getting the stuff free. Then if you use an electronic calendar or you use a paper one, do this. At least do this for yourself in your wallet. Put on your calendar when a trial offer is going to end. And if you aren't interested in continuing it, That's one of your tasks on your to-do list that day when the free trial period ends that you call and cancel. So I'll tell you, you know how I don't take anything free from anybody that I'm checking out for this show? I want you to know always unbought and unbossed that I am here 
to check things out without ever feeling like, oh, I got to say it's okay because they gave it to me free. No, I buy whatever I test, whatever I try. And there are times, though, that I will sign up for a free trial offer just to check something out to be able to talk to you about it, and then there's no reason for me to pay for it, and it's always on my electronic calendar to cancel. So remember that. Keep it in mind, and if you know yourself that you're not getting around to canceling trial offers and trial subscriptions, don't sign up for the trial because you're never going to remember to shut the spigot off and protect your wallet. And that's Clark Rages to waste your money, right? If you're wondering how to get the funding needed to run a small business today, Cabbage has the answer. Cabbage helps small business owners access simple and flexible funding right away without the headaches that come with applying for a traditional loan. You can apply online or from your phone by securely linking your business information to get an automatic decision. There's no waiting in line. There's no scanning documents or tracking down financial statements. Cabbage gives you the flexibility to decide what's best for your business. And once you're approved, you choose when to use your funds and how much you're going to take. You only pay for the funds that you actually use. Cabbage has supported over 100,000 small businesses with $2.9 billion in funding already. Visit cabbage.com save. There's no cost to apply or set up your line of credit. And just for listening to this podcast, when you qualify for funding, you'll get a $100 Visa gift card that you can use anywhere. That's Cabbage with a K. K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash save. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where we all learn together. Hope you learn ideas from me that help you save more and spend less. And, you know, I never want you to get ripped off. Our web address, Clark.com. When you're on a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Something that comes up, I would bet it comes up on our show 20, 25 times a year. Uh, Gosh, that may even be conservative how many times it comes up, where someone will call me about buying electronics. And I am like one note Clark on electronics. I'm always about, like, let's take TVs. Instead of concentrating on the brand, I say always buy the biggest screen your room can handle and don't worry about the brand name. Just make sure it has the features you want, whether it's high def or ultra high def or whatever. And a lot of people just can't handle that. I was with a friend when he was buying a TV before last football season. And I was really trying to get him to buy a TV that was just a real deal. And he wouldn't do it. He had to have the Samsung. Just had to. So there are people who just go for the safety of the brand name. It's what they want. But do you get something better when you buy the brand name? Maybe, maybe not, often not. I'm looking at Consumer Reports' latest data on the most reliable and least reliable brands in the first three years that you own a television. And so looking at this list, 
and it's a direct ratio failure rate per hundred. Two out of every hundred fail have a you know have a uh, problem in the first three years, whatever that problem would be. Five out of a hundred have a problem, whatever. So it ranges from two out of a hundred having a problem in the first three years to ten, the worst one possible, ten out of a hundred having a problem in the first three years. Now I want you to know that is a extremely low failure rate for something you use constantly for three years. TV manufacturers are to be commended because of how reliable what they make actually is. So the brands that show to be the most reliable are some of the off brands. The brands that show to be the least reliable, some of the off brands. They're at both ends of the barbell. Hitachi, which today is an off-brand for TVs, and Sansui, an off-off-brand for TV, have the lowest breakage rate of any brand. And neither of those are brands that you'd say, guess what, I just got a Sansui TV! Nobody says that. Right, so what else is, uh, that's two out of a hundred fail in three years. Again, that's tiny. The ones that three out of a hundred fail, Panasonic, Sanyo, Dynex. Dynex is Best Buy's off-off private label. It's their their uh, entry-level, deep discount private label brand. Sanyo, another off-brand. Panasonic, a brand name. And as you move through the numbers, Sony has a... a Four out of a hundred failure rate. And then some other off off brands, Emerson, four percent failure rate, Hisense, four percent failure rate, Insignia, Best Buy's high end private label has a higher failure rate than their low end private label. Then we move up to five percent. Samsung, the gold standard in televisions has a 5% failure rate. Tied with brands like Sharp, Philips, the well-known CK brand, however you say it, S-E-I-K-I, Toshiba, LG, JVC, another private label, I mean, not private label, off-off-off brand, Element. So the thing I want you to know And by the way, the worst of all, according to Consumer Reports research, is Scepter. I have a Scepter. Has a 10% failure rate. Vizio, the, I guess, number one volume brand in the United States, has a 7% failure rate. And so there is no pattern that shows off-off brand, store brand, name brand, You go with one versus another, you're automatically going to get a great TV. Doesn't work that way. So my advice stays the same. Buy the cheapest one you can get with the features you want and the largest screen size you can get. Consumer Reports says, the same people who did this research on brands, I want to read you what they said. I am disagreeing with them writing about their own research. Says why it doesn't always pay 
to buy a cheap TV. Well, actually, I, didn't, I don't think I disagreed with that. Although I would say it always pays to buy the cheap TV. Audrey's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Audrey. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I have been better, Audrey. I didn't get to sleep last night because I have a sick child, so we'll see how coherent I am. I know how that goes. So how can I serve you with your child? I have a, um, a child going to college next fall, and um, we have saved the money for her college tuition and um, can pay it outright, but I've heard from um, older siblings uh, or um, cousins and friends that kids have a really hard time getting credit out of school, even four and five years out of school with a job. And so I'm wondering if it makes sense at all for us to explore a student loan for her and then put the money that we have that um, to pay her tuition in an account that would auto-pay the student loan, and um, hopefully there wouldn't be a prepayment penalty, but um, pay it off in whatever time frame it would make sense to establish her credit. Okay, I got to give you credit for uniqueness, Audrey. (laughs) I have never had that question concerning college or paying for it or borrowing for it ever, ever, but that's really thinking ahead, trying to figure out how you get credit for a young person. And one thing is your child in college, once she has her 21st birthday, will be eligible for college student credit cards. The, there are a number of issuers from American Express to many of the banks and credit unions issue credit cards that have college student credit card programs. That college students are the most profitable segment of the entire credit card market. So even without any proof of income, just by virtue of being a full-time student, when she gets to be a sophomore, junior, whenever she turned 21, she'll be able to get credit cards. And is that the best way to do that? That is the best way to establish credit, and you won't be generating any of those interest charges trying to use the student loans as a way to get it done. Okay. Because I'm worried about her getting out and having the credit enough to, say, buy a car. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. If if she gets uh, two credit cards when she's 21, she'll have plenty of time to establish a good payment record. She'll be in great shape. Okay. And then it's the same scenario as with any credit card. Um, Use it and pay it. Use it sparingly. doesn't have to be used a lot. As long as a credit card is used a couple of times a year, that's enough. Okay. Because there's no need to run a balance. There's no need to use it frequently. Just as long as it's showing active in a credit scoring mix, she's fine. And how great it is, I completely neglected to praise you for the hard work of saving all that money so that you can pay for her school. That is a rare, rare thing indeed. Chris is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Chris. Hi, Clark. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So you have a credit-related question. 
I do. It's related to credit and uh, and children uh, indirectly, just like the previous caller. Um, my wife and I have three children um, between the ages of two and seven, and one of the, our long-term goals that we'd like to do with them when they're a little older, be it you know two years from now or ten years from now, is to take a big family trip together. And I can just tell that given the kind of the day-to-day ongoing expenses that happen when as a family that we're not going to, just knowing me, I'm not going to be able to save up that kind of money. And I think the one way we might be able to do it is through frequent flyer miles. And so I didn't know if you had a particular credit card or even another way other than a credit card to that you might recommend to get started on accumulating a whole bunch of miles long term. All right. Great question, because the danger, if you accumulate miles on any of the big three full fare airlines, American United or Delta, the problem is that they keep depreciating the value of the miles Mm -hmm. so that continually you have to have more miles to get an award to redeem for travel. They make Mm -hmm. it difficult to redeem for travel. And so I've been preferring of late that you look at a, a card, unless you fly one of the three bigs a lot for work. Do you fly? No. So if you don't, I like a, a general card where you accumulate the equivalent of miles that you can convert to travel. And there's one in particular that has been getting the best reviews on all the credit card review sites. One in particular, it's the Barclay card arrival Plus World Elite MasterCard. What a junky name for a card. Yeah. I'm going to repeat that again. The Barclay Card Arrival Plus World Elite MasterCard. And it is considered to be the number one airline rewards card in the country today. Okay. And that- so with that, you accumulate miles the equivalent of miles that you can use for free travel mm. and they have a formula about how you redeem for that free travel okay now you say with kids that are two to seven years old you're going to yeah. accumulate these miles and then take a big trip who knows looking years down the road how much that advice might change what i'd love for you to do is look at using a card like that for a couple of years and then Call me back, and let's see where the advice is at that time that might be very different. It's a deal. And there's a website I'd like you to use that I'd love for people to look at to shop for credit cards called creditcardtuneup.com, and you can put in your specific charge pattern, and it may come back with a very different answer based on your unique specific pattern. Credit card tune up just spelled out. Yeah, creditcardtuneup.com. Okay. Thanks, Clark. All right. And that's a lot. Two to seven, three kids. Mine are spread out like over a country mile. Yeah, well, mine aren't sick, though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that hurts, <laughs> but true. Jessica joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Jessica. How can I serve you? I was calling because um, I just graduated from grad school in August, and I am looking to um, move out on my own, um, but I have very uh, high student loan debt, so I'm trying to find some place that's affordable, but also still safe for a, uh, a young woman, uh, 
So just I have of, my you know, favorite for that. <laughs> I have my absolute favorite, and I'm going to throw something out that's like a UFO kind of thought, okay? Okay. My favorite is for you to look in really nice neighborhoods where people, older neighborhoods, where they were built with like uh, garage apartments or carriage apartments that people tend to rent out, particularly in older neighborhoods. You might have uh, an older couple or a widower, widower who's trying to make ends meet on a fixed income and they rent out the garage or in-law suite or whatever that you tend to be in the safest of neighborhoods and the the places usually because they're older won't be uh won't be very fancy but very safe and tend to be more affordable rent wise gotcha okay i have a friend who did that in los angeles in one of the most expensive areas in los angeles an area called westwood and got a great great rent simply by being in somebody's garage apartment wow it was a very small apartment (laughs) remember when my wife and i went to see her it was uh it was not small enough that you could touch all four walls standing in one place but it was pretty small but it was a great deal gotcha and that's exactly what i'm looking for something very simple just me (laughs) and so that you know that is my favorite and that requires some work i remember i used to own a home in an older neighborhood and a young woman who had recently graduated from college had done little flyers that she put in mailboxes of homes that she could tell had what looked like garage apartments. Wow. And that's how we ended up with her as a tenant. So that's why I thought of that UFO idea right away, because it happened in my life. Okay. And is there any way, because you said it requires work, I've been looking on things like Craigslist and... um, Be really cautious. Be very cautious looking at places on Craigslist. Okay. Because particularly if somebody's renting you an unoccupied property, but sometimes you'll find good deals on condominiums, renting a condo that someone's an involuntary landlord on Craigslist, where they would like to sell it. You know, they've moved on to a home and they have the condo they haven't been able to sell because they may have bought it during the real estate bubble. And so a condo for rent usually is a better deal than an apartment for rent. But when something breaks in an apartment complex, in theory, you can call the management office and the maintenance person comes and fixes it. When it's an individual who's renting a place, they really don't want to be renting anyway. When things break, they're usually not that swift about getting them fixed, but you'll get a better deal. Gotcha. Okay. So try a couple of those things and... I think you'll get somewhere. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. All right. Best of luck to you. How much in student loan debt do you have? Oh, my God. Almost 100000 <laughs> Wow. Take it one step at a time. And if they're federal loans, look at my info on Clark.com. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports this podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust, someone who's got your best interests in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. 
With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in just minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure that you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. So whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank. Skip the waiting. Go completely online at quickenloans.com slash save. That's quickenloans.com slash S-A-V-E. Let Rocket Mortgage help you get the exact mortgage solution that you need. Go to quickenloans.com slash save. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org number 3030. The folks at Podcast One want to say thank you for listening to this show. We also would like to ask a small favor of you. It'll take you less than 10 minutes, and if you're one of the first people who does it, we'll even give you something for doing it. We want you to complete a short survey for us because we need the information you give us to help make things better every day. Just go to podcastone.study and everything will be right there for you. That's podcastone.study. The first 250 people that go and complete the survey will get a $25 gift card to Restaurant.com. And there's a chance to win an additional $250 Visa gift card. All of our shows are supported by advertisers, and filling out this survey will really help us out. So please, go to podcastone.study. And thank you. Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas to me so that you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone rip you off. An example of that, the banks can be awfully devilish. I'm going to tell you something you need to know in just 30 minutes to keep you from being ripped off by the banks. Our web address, Clark.com, when you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. I want to talk right now about traffic apps like Waze. My wife says that in our family, she picks out dogs, but I get to name them. And she's been trying to con me into saying we should have another dog because we need to have a dog named Waze. We have two dogs right now. And their names, by the way, are Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill. But again, I I got to pick those names because those are two of my political heroes. Anyway, and so I love the traffic app Waze. And so she's like, so we need to have another dog named Waze. I'm like, not so fast. But what Waze is so good at is when traffic isn't moving so fast, it helps you get around it. And I had mentioned months ago, I go to Los Angeles fairly regularly for the show. And my last trip to L.A. after I came back, I talked about how no one on the show crew ever wants to be the one who has to go with me to Los Angeles because I'm such a pain to be with because the traffic just makes me go crazy. And that I realized that I don't complain about the traffic anymore. And the whole reason why is Waze has changed the experience for me getting me around not just southern california but like anywhere i go it gets me around terrible terrible traffic tie-ups you know years ago when i first learned to really love ways was when i was on the way to a book signing near hartford and ended up in a terrible traffic jam because of a, a tragic accident on the interstate And Waze 
got me around that like you could not believe, and I made the book signing on time that I would not have made otherwise. And so this traffic app, W-A-Z-E, uses artificial intelligence and the wisdom of all of us collectively to give you ideas and ways to get around traffic that you'd never think of. And even in a city I'll know well, I'll let ways guide me because if there is a traffic tie-up, it'll take me ways that are so counterintuitive that I may be trying to go east and it'll have me start by going west or north or whatever. And recently I was trying to go south and then east and it had me actually go north, then west, and then circle back around to the south and the east. And it actually worked, taking me this convoluted, crazy way and got me around a terrible tie-up. But what it's also doing is it's forcing me essentially to trespass into quiet residential neighborhoods because so many people are using ways that we're going on a route diversion that it'll have in a neighborhood that's very quiet and has the birds chirping and all that suddenly has one of us after another after another using the neighborhood as a cut through. So now communities are striking back. There's an area that Waze used to take me in an area I go in Florida that now I go down the street and it now dead ends. They've made the street where it dead ends from both the north and the south kind of halfway through the cut through. So it's now a no longer cut through. And a lot of streets now and a lot of metro areas are not allowing you to to turn into the neighborhoods during morning and evening rush hour. When I try to go see my primary care doctor, there was a really great cut through I learned from Waze that I can't take anymore unless I'm going to the doctor during off hours because I'm no longer allowed to turn into that neighborhood. By the way, they even ban people who live in the neighborhood from turning into their own neighborhood during those hours. And so it's going to be a game of cat and mouse. The biggest problem with Waze, if you use it, where there haven't been these moves to restrict you using the weird ways it comes up for you to go, is that many times it'll take you to a point where you have to take a left turn without the advantage of a red light. And that's a problem. What I find myself doing many times is I'll come to a red light where I'm where an intersection where there is no red light and I'm supposed to take an impossible left. I take a right and then work my way back. So I outweighs ways in order to do it. I just want you to know that this is a phenomenal, phenomenal app that if you tend to use Uh, Whatever mapping program comes on your phone, take the time to download Waze and give it a try, and it may really improve your commute or your drive, especially if you're in an unfamiliar area. Amy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Amy. Hi, how are you? Great, thank you. You want to talk about hitting the bullseye on the retirement target. 
I do. Um, looking at the proper use or misuse of retirement funds, and I'm being told from some sources that um, you need to have 100% of your investment in the retirement fund, target retirement fund, or none. Well, I wouldn't say 100% or none, but the idea is that if, you let's say you're building a portfolio in a 401k, or you're building one in a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA, the idea is that if you're, for people who aren't aware of what we're talking about, a target retirement fund is where you pick a year kind of in the ballpark of when you expect to retire, and they tend to be in... uh Five-year increments, like year 2030, 2045, whatever, every five years, that you're messing up the whole purpose of the target retirement fund if you put money into it and then still put money into other things in your retirement plan or retirement account. Yes. So it's not like it's not like it's something you shouldn't do. It's just suggested that. If the whole idea is to try to get the right mix of stuff that you're invested in, that it really is only effective if you go all in on the target retirement fund. Where are you okay. Where are you in your head with this, and how does it affect you? Well, I have it as a choice um, in my mix, but I have also picked individuals within my 401k, and um, I just have this as part of it. And I'm hearing that um, the rate of return that I would expect would be or could be, on average, about 2% less um, than if I were to put it all in the target retirement fund. You know, I, I can't speak to whether you would have an overall lower return over the years by diversifying out from it. The idea of the target retirement fund is really for a different purpose. It's to put you in a position where you have the proper level of risk at different stages of your work life, and then as you get closer to retirement. So there's no, there's nothing that says that you taking some of your money in your 401k and putting it in other choices is going to get you a lower return. It's even possible that could get you a higher return, but it also might involve over the years, potentially more risk to you in losses you could suffer at various points of your work life. Sure. Okay. So okay. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take if anybody says, "Oh, putting forty percent in the target retirement fund and putting the other sixty percent in other things is going to get you a lower return." That's not an accurate statement. Okay. I appreciate the information. Okay. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. What's amazing with the target retirement funds is that any of a number of providers of those in a IRA, Roth IRA, or 401k are offering extremely low costs on them, and others offering very high costs on the target retirement fund portfolio. Vanguard, which is generally considered to be the gold standard, charges typically like 0.15 of 1% to 0.20 of 1%, where other providers may charge as much as more than 1% for having money in a target retirement fund. That difference decimates eventually 
how much money you'll have to live on in retirement. Those expenses really matter over time. Scott is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Scott. Hey, Clark. Uh, thanks again for taking my call. Certainly. Um, recently, I had called and spoken with you about selling some property, uh, lakefront property out of state that was undeveloped. And uh, there was a, a, a little banter between my wife and I concerning whether or not we want to sell at FISBO or through the real estate agent. And uh, you, had, you, you had actually settled a great argument, which is rare. <laughs> I wouldn't argue in my house, which is very, very rare in my case. But uh, you had suggested it's very difficult to sell at FISBO, and you suggested go ahead and doing so through a real estate agent. Um, well, I spoke to some of, the, some of my friends at work, and uh, one of the friends suggested just reach out to your neighbor. Maybe they may want to buy the property. And I did, and just, just so happens they had been wanting to purchase the property. So um, I'm... Um, uh, I gave them an offer, they countered, and uh, I, I, I finally suggested, okay, if you pay the uh, closing cost, um, sure, I'll go ahead and, and, and go through it. Well, let me but, stop uh, you right there. By the way, sure. that was a great suggestion from the person at work. <laughs> yeah, it was, and, and, and unfortunately, no, now I've lost the argument. <laughs> well, you didn't lose the argument. That was like an annex to it that, that is a really great idea. It's kind of like what I always talk about when somebody is stuck with a timeshare, that the best uh-huh. people who are potential buyers are people that are staying at that timeshare. So you've already got somebody who's pre-qualified if they live adjacent to you at a vacation property. And, and um, you know, it, it, it just worked out perfectly. Unfortunately, though, um, I've never sold property. She's never sold property. So she came back and said, okay, what next? And so I'm just kind of calling to kind of get an idea of what I should expect. I'm assuming she's going to have a lawyer do a title search and, and, and so forth. But Well, that is part of the deal is that, okay. that a lawyer draws up the agreement. This is a sale of raw land, if I remember right. When you Correct, exactly. Nothing so, on it. So with raw land, that's a pretty easy contract for a real estate attorney to draw and then to handle the sale of the property. So since you've already agreed on the price, the terms, and I assume when the closing would take place approximately... Not, not necessarily. I mean, we've, we've agreed on the, uh, I've agreed to sell, I've agreed to the price, and she's agreed to uh, handle whatever closing costs are, are, are necessary. It's just uh, no, no, date, no timeline has been set yet, no date. So you don't, uh, until you have the date, you don't really truly have a deal, but it sounds like okay. you're going to make a true deal with the neighbor that, that's really great for both parties. So the only thing left to do is for once you settle on, normally I'd talk about in real estate why you each should have your own lawyer, blah, blah, blah. In this case, right. it doesn't sound like that's necessary at all. Let, now, they're, they're, wonderful, they're wonderful people, great neighbors. Then uh, let, them, the let them pick the lawyer, years. and then the two okay. of you, after she's briefed the lawyer, then the two of you have a conference call together with the lawyer. The lawyer will make it clear that he or she is representing that person, not you, but again, okay. there's a friendly transaction, so it's just to iron out details, and the lawyer will have some that you and I aren't even going to think about that they'll bring to the table. Okay, that's fine. Uh, one other question, if you don't mind. Oh, and by um, the way, tell your wife days. she's right. 
<laughs> Always do. Uh, by the way, uh, capital gains tax, uh, is there some way I can put this off? Or I've been reading up a, about it. You can, it. but, it but like... I don't recommend because tax rates are okay. still favorable enough. How much gain are you going to have on the sale of the land? Uh, probably about twenty to 25000 Pay your tax. Because uh, doing the exchange where you have to identify, where you have to have somebody hold the money as an intermediary, you have all these things you got to do to identify the next property and all that, just forget all that. Just take the money, pay the relatively okay. small amount of tax you'll have, which will be just a few thousand dollars, and be done with it. Put it in your pocket. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Clark. I appreciate sure. it. Have a great day. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com, and then our producer, Joel, asks your question for you. What you got? Clark John wrote in. He says, wouldn't it be better to self-insure for roadside assistance rather than forking over the $100-ish a year to a service like AAA? That's $1,000 over 10 years, and I'm thinking it might be smarter just to call a tow truck when I'm in need. Well, the other issue that various AAA affiliates have is timely dispatch of help or service when you need it. And that's probably the number one reason why people may or may not renew AAA in a year. Um, Many people now will buy coverage that you can buy from your own automobile insurer, but beware and wary that some insurers will treat a call for a tow as a claim and will harm you shopping for other auto insurance or even with them. My favorite alternative now, you mentioned self-insuring. There's something that is the same cost as self-insuring free, but gives you a benefit because of the hyper-competitive credit card market today. There are several credit card issuers that now give you roadside assistance as one of those little-known benefits that come with your card. Many of the um, cards that are available under the Visa Signature line include roadside assistance as a free benefit. Hi, I'm Clay Smith, host of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews, the podcast for book lovers interested in interviews with best-selling authors, insider scoop on the hottest releases, reading ideas for book clubs and bibliophiles, and even tips about which books to skip altogether. So be sure to download new episodes of Fully Booked by Kirkus Reviews every Tuesday. You can get it on the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. Stay tuned for 60 seconds of AP News headlines right after this podcast. Glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Clark.com is our website. And when you're looking for deals, ClarkDeals.com. When you're looking for deals, don't go to a giant monster mega bank. Don't do it. There's an item today in the New York Post that says bank fees rise to all-time high and nobody can stop them. That is not true. You can stop them. It's all about where you choose to do your banking. Because when you talk about the giant monster mega banks, the fees are unreal. I mean, just overdraft revenue for Chase, 
Wells Fargo, and Bank of America last year just overdraft almost $5.5 billion. From ATMs, $6.5 billion. And this is just at the giant monster megabanks. Okay, so they go through what the typical person is paying for fees, and I love this. I'm just going to read what they said in the New York Post. It just might be a sign of the devil. Annual bank fees are now costing some weary customers an average of $666 a year. That's like a headline writer's dream, right? But here's what you need to know. You don't have to pay a penny. How? Well, if you go to an online bank, you're not going to pay any of those fees. Online banks are taking more and more market share. You go to credit unions, most credit unions, you're going to be able to do the equivalent of banking without a fee. You go to a small local bank, you're likely to avoid the fees. Remember, the giant monster megabanks, which there are four, the one that wasn't in either of those stats, Citibank, the four giant monster megabanks account for roughly half of banking in the United States. They serve people who are not price sensitive. And so they have fee on top of fee on top of fee. And what they sell is the idea of convenience. But the reality is, because most of us don't need the bank branch anymore, and most of us do our quote-unquote banking on our smartphones, those networks they have of all those branches and all that, you're just paying for something you don't need and you don't use. So the answer, if you're doing business with one of the four giant monster megabanks, fire them. Fire them. And while I'm on that topic, Wells Fargo, nobody going to prison for all the criminal acts involved in opening millions of accounts that people didn't ask for, didn't request, phony accounts, bank employees, bank officers engaging in acts of identity theft, impersonating people to open accounts so they could meet quotas and get bonuses. Nobody goes to prison. And now to add ultimate insult to the injury to the American people two million times over, Wells Fargo, in courts all around the country, is alleging that you have no right to go after them in a court of law because their customer agreements for accounts you open say that any dispute must be handled in arbitration. So I want you to think about this. Wells Fargo that opened accounts in a vast criminal conspiracy two million times over and says they're learning from their mistakes. Baloney. 
Because if you say somebody who never was a party to opening the account doesn't have a right to go after you in a court of law because you're a, your account thing says that you can't sue them, I wasn't a party to opening an account that I didn't open, that they impersonated me and opened that account. But the big thing is, regardless of whether the judges give Wells what they want, the reality is, what does it tell you about the bank that even when they messed up criminally, they think they should never be subject to the laws of the United States of America Why would you do business with somebody like that? Why? And why, again, is yet another giant monster megabank getting away with a conspiracy of criminal behavior and criminal acts? Nobody in handcuffs. Nobody doing the perp walk. Why do you think they're going to change what they do other than just window dressing when they are obviously running a long-running criminal conspiracy, opening accounts that customers didn't know about and didn't ask for. Come on, Wells Fargo. Come and answer. Why would you tell people that you messed up, but you're going to do right by them, and then you turn around and say, but even though we messed up, you don't have any right to take action against us? Is that somebody you should do business with? You know, they may be in a position, a privilege, because of all the dirty money that spreads around Washington. And they may be above the laws that govern you and me. But you and I have the power of the marketplace and our own pockets to not do business with someone who engages in year after year after year of criminal acts and is able in this time of corruption in America that they're able to just get away with it? Not with your money, not with my money. Fred is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Fred. Clark, thanks for all you do for us. We get a lot of information from you. Well, thank you. I'm sorry I got so riled up and fired up there. (laughs) When it comes to money, uh, character's revealed, isn't it? Uh, You see the best in people and the worst, don't you? You sure do. Clark, uh, I've been contacted by a friend regarding a multi-level marketing company that's uh, promoting a digital coin. And I'm not really familiar with what digital coins are. And they're talking about going public, and they're not registered with the SEC. And it looks like a Ponzi scheme to me. But I was wondering if you had any information regarding digital coins. All right. So when people refer to digital coin, that's generally a generic term for the one brand name that did establish itself in the marketplace called Bitcoin. And Bitcoin is an alternative way for people to pay for things around the world and it is what's generally referred to as a cryptocurrency it's not a government-backed money it is one that's that is accepted based on a daily value that people who are willing to buy and sell bitcoins 
are willing to take that value. What you're calling about is not Bitcoin. Somebody who's trying to trade on that, basically. What is it that you would do if you were to get involved in this um, coin business? I supposedly don't have to do anything. It just, uh, you you buy it, uh, you invest a certain amount of money, anywhere from 150 to, I don't know, $5,000. And then the coin is like two, is worth like two or three cents now. And it keeps supposing to rise, supposedly it's going to rise. And uh, they're going to start where they're going to start a company where you can use your coins. Okay. So I would not go anywhere close to that. Because first of all, when somebody, any of us could say today, we're going to have Fred money, or we're going to have Clark money, and uh-huh. you want to buy Fred money because it's going to go through the roof. And I'm going to say Fred money is worth so much money today, but I can tell you in the future, you're going to make a fortune on Fred money. Yeah. <laughs> or Clark money. So, so I would tell you that having alternative payment forms is going to be part of the future, but they're not designed to be an investment. They're designed to be a payment platform, just another way to buy and sell things. And somebody who's uh-huh. promising that you're getting in on the ground floor of a get-rich-quick thing, I would say I would not get involved with anything like that. There are commissions that you are eligible for if you do this and get other people to buy them or anything like that? Yeah, there's yeah, there's uh you get a commission if you can bring other people in. That's what set my antenna up. Uh and how much commission like if you get me to buy you said hundred and fifty dollars worth. If you get me to buy hundred and fifty dollars worth of this this electronic coin, how much do you get of the commission? I get a ten percent commission. So you get fifteen dollars and then whoever is putting this together gets the hundred and thirty five? Uh, evidently. And the whole product is this supposed money that you're supposed to trust in that doesn't actually exist yet to be used to buy and sell things? That's that's the, the story. Okay. I would tell you, don't even think about getting involved in that because that is, there's no true product or service that's being sold. If it's just speculation yeah. that at some point people will be able to use these electronic coins, and that sounds to me like that could very dangerously end up being an illegal pyramid, an yeah. illegal game of okay. chance. So I would, unless unless you are somebody who really loves the whole idea of gambling, do you love to gamble? <laughs> I do a little bit, yeah. Well, then go to Vegas. Take in a show. Enjoy all the glitz and the lights and all that, but don't get involved in something that may well turn out to be an illegal pyramid, a Ponzi scheme, an illegal game of chance. And this whole thing with the virtual currency is a very nerve-wracking thing for me. Adam is with us on the Clark Howard Show, and Adam, congratulations are in order to you. Is that true? That is correct. Yes, sir. Thank you. I appreciate that. We've what's, worked very hard. What's happened, Adam? 
Well, uh, here in the next uh, three to four weeks, uh, four weeks max, uh, my wife and I will be completely debt-free, except for the mortgage. And that's actually where my question is coming from today. All right. Well, um, congratulations to you for having no lifestyle debt whatsoever. The freedom that's going to give you, it's just going to feel so good. We, we are already... Uh, blessed so and it's, uh, we just can't even imagine uh, the things that we're going to be able to do so we're very excited that's great so where does the mortgage fit into this picture that's something that my wife and i have been kind of uh, talking about is what should be our next priority should our priority be to uh, tackle the mortgage and uh, pay the mortgage completely down and that way we truly are 100 percent debt free or should we um, start uh, putting additional uh, money into our 401k or should we stack up our savings account and have the ideal uh, nine months of uh, savings in there in case one of us ends up being unemployed for some reason? Wow, you are a planner. So, yeah, and you, you have know, every, about- every option you have is a bright, beautiful option because you've created the possibility to have great options. So all it is is a matter of what might be the best priority with nothing but good choices. So let me start with a question that is key. What is your mortgage interest rate? Right now it's actually pretty low, I believe. It's about 3.6%. Fixed for the life of the loan? Correct. No priority at all paying extra on that. So when I look at priorities, 401k, do you both have 401ks? Um, I have my own 401k through my employer, and then she's a school teacher, so they have a different system set up. But yes, we do both have retirements. Okay. And are each of you putting in enough contribution to get whatever match there might be on the retirement plan? That plus additional, yes. So you're not doing Roth IRAs, I would guess. No, no, we are not. That would be the other option we were trying to explore. Because the Roth is what I would do next. Because if you do the Roth, it has such innate built-in tax advantages and then also has the flexibility in the event you had a financial catastrophe like the job loss and not enough money coming in or whatever. So with the Roth, you can put in, with maximum flexibility, $0 in a year up to 5500 each into the Roth. Okay. And the beauty of the Roth is even though you don't get any tax break putting money in, the money in it grows tax-free, and if left alone into retirement, is spent tax-free. So it's a beautiful mix with the 401k you're doing, and she's probably doing a 403b, that those are both pre-tax things. The Roth gives you a post-tax pile of money. And so having in retirement a pre-tax pile of cash and a post-tax pile of cash allows you to do proper planning with where your next dollar should come from, where you manage your tax bill, in each year of retirement. Okay, very good. And if you look at my investment guide at Clark.com, I have my favorite 
cheap choice companies to open up a Roth. And the beauty is you can invest in them. Uh, once you have one open, you can add little amounts to it each month or each pay period to big amounts whenever it works in your life, as long as you don't exceed the annual maximum of 5500 each. So that would be the highest priority, I would see. And again, congratulations to both of you on becoming lifestyle debt-free. No rush on that mortgage at 3.6, though. Thanks for listening to the Clark Howard Podcast. Download new episodes every Monday through Friday at podcastone.com. That's podcastone.com. I'm John Horn. I'm the host of Geffen Playhouse Unscripted. I'm here with our very first guest, Rain Wilson. Hi, John. It looks like I'm the first guest on the Geffen Unclothed. Unscripted. Unscripted, yeah. Let's go with that. A marriage made in heaven, I guess. Or Westwood. Tune in for some of our exciting upcoming guests. David Copperfield, Neil LaBute, Neil Patrick Harris, Josh Gad, Rita Wilson, and many more. Be sure to download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app and on iTunes. And don't forget to rate, review, and share. And, and I'm Rain Wilson, the first guest. You are no, the very this, first guest. This was a huge uh, mistake. Stephen Playhouse Unscripted. Huge mistake. What we're learning about the Manchester bomber. I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. The father of the alleged Manchester suicide bomber says his son didn't do it. We don't believe in killing innocents, he told the AP. But the father reportedly was a member of an al-Qaeda-backed group in Libya years ago. That, according to a former Libyan security official. Meanwhile, police have carried out raids on a block of apartments in Manchester. Witnesses say they heard explosions. Alan Kinsey was a neighbour of the alleged bomber. The actual family that had been there, I'd, I'd never really come across them yeah. in bad ways. It was always, even when I said hello, he never seemed to speak back to you. He was just like, kept themselves to themselves and that was about it. The British putting more military troops on the streets now as police say it's clear this is a network they're investigating. President Trump has arrived in Brussels for NATO meetings after a visit this morning with the Pope at the Vatican. I'm Rita Foley.